I think it's a play that can be run really at any stage of the business. If you think of influencer marketing as what the typical influencer marketing is, oh, I'm going to pay this person or something like that. It's just very like transactional. And that's not what you want to make it about. You want to make it more like about building relationships than anything else. You're listening to Content Logistics, a podcast for B2B marketers looking to build a content engine that drives revenue. In each episode, Camille Trent interviews the marketers behind the best content marketing flywheels and uncovers the tactical aspects of content production from first draft to first customer. Welcome to another episode of Content Logistics. I'm your host, Camille Trent, and this episode is brought to you by my good friends, Tristan and Justin over at Motion. That's an agency that helps busy B2B tech marketers launch podcasts, just like this one. And they have helped me launch this one uh, just last week. So what stood out to me when I was first looking for a partner on this is just quality. So there's a lot of people that say that they are great with video and design, but it all looks the same in the feed. And you can you can tell that it was shipped out or that it was like hastily put together. But theirs is like to another level. And then I found out later that they started out as an animation studio. So they're animation studio quality. So definitely highly recommend them. If anyone out there is looking to launch a podcast, thinking about launching a podcast, Look up Tristan and Justin because they do it the best. Today, our guest is Jay Desai, a good friend of mine and the founder of Swipely. Jay, it's good to see you again. Hey, Camille. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Excited to chat today. Yeah, so we will just jump right in. I have promised to get down to the frameworks and down to the tactical aspects of marketing, and that's what you're good at as well. And so if you can just tell the listeners about you and your background. For this episode, we're going to be talking about influencer marketing, and you have a really strong background in that, and then that's carried over a little bit into what you're doing as a founder. So just a little bit of background on yourself. Yeah, for sure. Hey, everybody. My name is Jay. I am the founder of Swipely, a tool that helps you save, curate, and share your favorite content from everywhere on the internet. Uh, A little bit of background about me. So I just started as a founder really full-time in mid-January. But before that, I was mostly in B2B marketing, specifically in, in growth and content. So my last role was actually head of growth at a company called Trend. We did influencer marketing, but not for B2B. We were connecting e-commerce brands with influencers, specifically from Instagram. And before I was working over there, I kind of led up the marketing efforts at a company called CareerPlug that did like hiring software. So my background's in content and growth. I love trying out new different things, creative plays, whatever it takes to grow, especially in the early stages, because that's the companies I've been at. And now I'm working at my, my own thing and trying to hack out some of those marketing skills that I've learned into my own company. So uh, to level set for the audience, how do you feel about the word influencer for one? And then how would you define it? Yeah, I think uh, influencer is like a funky word to an extent. Like, I don't think anyone really likes it. Like maybe a few people do. I personally don't really like the term that much. I prefer creator, but I think influencer, creator, like interchangeable to an extent. But really, the definition of an influencer is anyone that has like influence over someone's decisions or habits or or things like that. And to be an influencer, you don't have to have a million followers, you can have 100 followers, and maybe you have an influence over 100 people. So that's my definition of it. I've never been super great with having very rigid definitions as well. 
Yeah, I, I love how simple that is because it really is if you take it to the root of the word, if you have influence and not in a braggy way or a boastful way, but if some people listen to you and especially if you're looking at influencer marketing, if a certain sector of people that you're going after listen to a certain person. And this is why it's so helpful to have a niche and to have a zone that you're good at if you want to get into influencer marketing. But yeah, it has become like a dirty word almost, especially for B2B, because I think they just have a hard time understanding how it could play in this professional world when they associate that with just Instagram influencers, right? But I think that it can, and that's what we're going to get into. So first, let's start out with how it works in D2C, and then we can translate that into B2B. So how did the process work for D2C brands at Trend? What did your company do, and how was it helpful? Yeah, so what we did over there was we actually had our own influencer network. That's a little bit different than most companies, because most companies just scrape through social media platforms and build the lists like just how you build maybe an email list or an email database. So we actually had our own influencer network that was like invite only. And then the way that brands would connect over there is they'd have their product to promote. Influencers would apply to want to work with that brand. Obviously, like maybe it connects with their audience, maybe they're super passionate, something like that. And so then they'd figure out how to work together. We had a flat fee, that's how ours did. But most of the times, generally, influencer marketing and, and direct-to-consumer is usually like very variable with costs. And then there can be a lot of different factors that, that play into that. You know, some of the really big influencers even have like their own agents and they negotiate contracts and all that crazy stuff. We didn't work with any of those people, mostly like micro-influencers, but there's a lot of power in micro-influencers as well. But yeah, that's what we essentially did is we helped brands connect with influencers to not only attack new audiences for those brands, but also generate content as well. Because I think that's actually a, a key piece in the influencer marketing efforts as well is, you know, it's not just about creating that one time effect, you've got to figure out how to like repurpose that it's just like your regular content marketing, where I write a blog post. And if I have a good content team, I want to turn that maybe into a short video or I'm going to share some of those tips on Twitter or in my newsletter or things like that. So it's very much the same with influencer marketing. Yeah, that's a great point. But for one, I wanted you on here because I think this is a content marketing play, right? But thinking about it in terms of like, how can you repurpose that play, the original play for other content marketing later on, I think is something that we don't think about. We think about it as a campaign or an ongoing campaign that you need that person for, you're like dependent on that person for the whole time. But if you're able to work out a contract where you can reuse those pieces, then that's gonna go a lot farther for you. Okay, so that gives us a good baseline for the D2C part of it. And so what do you think are some core differences between influencer marketing in B2C versus B2B? Yeah, I think it's really more how the engagement is. And I think B2B influencer marketing still doesn't have its feet on solid ground yet. People are still trying to figure out what that kind of looks like. I think one of the also big differentiators over there is even the product that you're potentially promoting as well. If it's a direct to consumer brand, you might be selling something that's maybe one time use $30, $40, $50. When it comes to B2B stuff, the transaction is typically a lot different. You know, you might have some sort of recurring revenue model in there. 
the price might be a lot higher, the decision making might be a lot different, especially for consumers, you're really dealing on a one to one kind of level over there, like, hey, I'm shopping for shorts or a t shirt, like I'm the one that's making that buying decision. Whereas I'm shopping for an email marketing platform, maybe I have to consult my team, maybe I have to consult my CFO or a VP of finance or something like that. So there's a lot of other decision makers generally in those processes. So I think B2B influencer marketing is also more of like a, a bit of a longer term play as well. And obviously everyone loves long term plays because we hate getting revenue up front, but it's just the nature of the beast. And I think that's one of the key differentiators between the two is is really just understanding like the purchase cycle and also who that end buyer is. You know, when you're dealing with B2C, it's very more of a consumer focus, like I'm using this for myself. Like I will probably be the one that receives the most value out of this. Whereas in B2B influencer marketing, maybe that decision that you're influencing and impacting doesn't just impact that individual. Obviously, like, yes, that person wants to do good at their job, but that decision might also have a greater impact on the business as well. That's a great overview of it. And Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that I got from it was so transactional B2C, D2C, more transactional, right? Like more likely that you're going to get that immediate direct consumption or or like direct purchase than it would be for a complex deal in B2B. And so because of that, you have to kind of think about it differently. And because it's so expensive, you might have to be more selective, right? Like where I used to get some DMs on, on Instagram when I was doing like a dog page And they would say, hey, like, we'll give you like free product to post about this collar or whatever, this leash. And and that might be like all it takes, right? It's just like a free product. And you can do that same move. Like you can send that to like 500, even thousands of like influencers and micro influencers, because I certainly was not a dog influencer in that space. But with B2B, you might have to be more selective, right? And only have a few creators if you have a budget for this. And so those are some big things that I see that we can get into more when we go through the tactical elements of this. So getting into more of the frameworks here. So when should a B2B company look into influencer marketing as a primary play? Do you see it better for, you know, smaller businesses, bigger teams, like how much is involved because there's different ways that you can take it. And so I'll leave this up to your interpretation. Yeah, I think it's a play that can be run really at any stage of the business. And the reason that I say that is because if you think of influencer marketing as what the typical influencer marketing is like, oh, I'm going to pay this person or something like that. It's just very like transactional. And that's not what you want to make it about. You want to make it more like about building relationships than anything else. And so that's why I say you can run it at any stage of the business, because at every stage of the business, you should constantly be working on building relationships and, and doing those kinds of things. And so even very early on, like it doesn't always have to translate to some sort of business outcome, like right up front, like, You don't have to just talk to someone with like 10,000, 20,000 followers and try and get them like, hey, go promote my product or something. It's really more as an opportunity to build a relationship and even potentially understand more about your target buyer as well, especially for early stage companies, because you're still probably figuring out what are the things that resonate well with your audience, your buyers and, and those kinds of things. And so that can be a really good opportunity to create that relationship and be like, Hey, like, how do you feel about this? Because this type of person probably also has influence around a decent amount of your other buyers, potentially, if you're doing it right. And so I really look at it as you can run it at any stage of the business. But what it's really about more than anything else is building relationships. 
Yeah, I love that. I think the idea that you said at the beginning of that, which was building relationships is always a good idea, like that concept is just really smart, especially in B2B, it is about relationships, right? And especially if you're in a heavy like sales organization, like that relationship that you have with the customer is going to like make the difference in a deal. And it can be like no different in marketing. It can be like the relationship that you have with your audience and with the people that like influence, like really do influence your buyers. And so starting with the relationship is always a good idea. Ending with the relationship is always a good idea. And then another thing I thought about as you were talking was social proof. Like it's basically just social proof. These are real people that are hopefully using the product, right, to be able to endorse it. And so when you have that does like work throughout the funnel, if you think about it, right, like that works on landing pages, which is more bottom of funnel, but then you also have that on your website. Like people are always using social proof throughout the journey to just back everything up with logic. So I was thinking about that part of it. And then, yeah, just relationships throughout, I think is really smart. So going on to the next stage of the framework, what tools or strategies do you find these influencers with? And so you mentioned trend as one way to be able to you know, connect with the right influencers. Let's say that I don't have the budget to do that bootstrapped at early stage. I'm just trying to figure out this playbook on my own. What are some things that you would recommend for finding the right people for your brand? Yeah, I think some of the best things that you can do, one of my favorite tools to kind of look at is SparkToro does a great job of figuring out, I think first you've got to figure out where your audience is living. That's the most important thing that you need to figure out. Like it makes no sense to work with Twitter influencers if your buyers are on Instagram like 97% of the time. So SparkToro is a great tool to figure out where your audience is living at. And once you've identified that, and I think it also gives you some influencers as well as a good starting point, uh, maybe some influential people over there. But the next kind of step that I like to take, and this is like a very like $0 budget, you don't have to spend anything on this. This is 100% free over here. But once you identify like a couple of those people, like who they are, if it's Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever, Instagram, actually search for those people. And I know Instagram has it, Twitter has it as well. And LinkedIn has it also, where you can scroll around and find see more people like this, like that is your best friend over there for this. Like, that's where you click through, find out like, how many followers does this person have? Are they posting content regularly? What are they talking about? What are the things they're talking about? What is their audience talking about? What's being said in the comments over there? So that's really a good way to like identify those people. And especially on B2B side of things, you really don't need a lot to make it work. I mean, the fact of the matter is there are a lot less B2B influencers, creators, whatever you want to call it there then there are B2C creators. And so you're at a huge advantage over there, especially so when you're talking to these people, like you might only need to create relationships like with five to 10 really good people at the beginning. And that's all it might potentially take, especially if you're trying to own that niche, just like having that message, like at some point, you know, like I said, don't make it transactional at the beginning, but at some point, if you have that same message being repeated, five to 10 times. And like, I'm scrolling through my feed. And I see like Camille's talking about this, someone else is also in content marketing talking about this, someone else is also talking about this. Obviously, you have my attention, I'm going <laughs> to figure out what you're talking about and do like a Google search at, at the bare minimum to figure it out. But I think that's a really good strategy is, you know, use that see more thing as your friend and just hack it out at the beginning, open Google Sheets, open Excel, put those links together. And then I'm sure we'll probably talk about this later on, but engagement's a huge part of it as well. Yeah. So yeah, you basically read my mind. So how do you initially approach 
these creators? Like, how do you reach out to them and start that relationship? You mentioned, I think, engaging on their content and finding out who their friends are, what, what circles they run in, what they talk about, and just knowing what they talk about and what are some like frequent topics of conversation should help you start that conversation, I think, a little bit. But how do you approach it? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing you can do at the beginning is just engaging with their con. Like, the reason people end up working together, like for anything, like take out influencer marketing out of the situation is because there's usually some sort of like, equal or close to equal value exchange that's happening. Obviously, we want to be around people and work with people that help add value in our lives, people that we feel like we can add value in their lives. And so it's the same exact thing when it comes to influencer marketing. And so when you're thinking about what value can I provide to that creator, the best value you can provide that costs $0 upfront without having to give away anything or anything like that is just engaging with their content. Because by engaging with their content, you're literally helping to support that creator to get more discovered every time, you know, I like something like let's take LinkedIn, for example, like, when I like something on LinkedIn, the weird way the algorithm works, uh, a decent amount of times, my own audience will sometimes get exposed to that same content. And so there might be someone that isn't following this creator, but is connected with me. And so they saw this content. So I basically acquired a little bit more exposure for this creator. And it's not like a ton of crazy stuff, you might not even have a huge audience or anything like that. But by engaging, you're literally providing value, you're also providing an insightful comment, that's potentially insightful feedback that the creator can use, and they can maybe figure out a new topic to talk about because of that. So that's the main thing you got to do up front, start engaging, get active, just drop comments, drop likes, whatever you can do. You don't have to jump into DMs immediately. And I wouldn't recommend that at the beginning. But maybe, you know, after you've engaged a little bit of time and people will take notice. Like we've done like creator marketing, influencer marketing with Swipely a little bit. If someone is commenting in your feed 20 times a month, you're going to see that person. It doesn't matter if you've got like tons and tons of followers, you will probably remember that person like you'd be surprised for that and then when it comes to dms like when it's time to reach out like you should definitely reach out at some point and i think it's really just like hey i saw this post like i really enjoyed this content just leave them like a small little message it doesn't need to be about like let's sync up together or anything like that just really just kind of like open that door maybe the content that they posted helped you Maybe you found something that you could reuse for something. Maybe you mentioned it in like a link or something like that or, or anything like that. I think that's where you can start providing really good value. I've even seen on like Twitter specifically, like people will make threads about like the top 10 creators to follow on Twitter in marketing Twitter or something like that. And like mentioning these people, like that's awesome for them. Like creators love that stuff because that gives them more exposure. So those are some high value things that you can offer up front. And then as you build that relationship, take it to the DMs, take that zoom call, take that Google meet, whatever it is to grow that relationship. Yeah, there was so much good stuff in there. I, I really liked the clip at the beginning. We need to use that. We need to get that clip. But the thing that stood out at the end was that person will notice you, right? If you're doing that enough times. And I think it's easy to talk ourselves out of this. Like they're too big, like this big fish and I'm a small fish in this pond and I'm not even in the space maybe, but I've seen a few like influencers, like big influencers 
notice people that are in their comments a lot and, and call it out on webinars and stuff and be like, Hey, thanks for coming. I noticed your name, <laughs> you know, like, or I recognize your name from the comments. And so, yeah, so it really is like, everyone's just a person, right? Like <laughs> some people might be creating more, might be on social media more and might have more like influence uh, in an audience, but ultimately they're just a person and they like compliments or, or they like just engaging as a person. <laughs> and so that's like an important thing I think to recognize as a marketer is just, it's the human to human thing and not the B2B thing. So that was the thing for me. And then also the, the touches like marketing, how it takes like, you know, eight touches for maybe me to even just register a brand or register a logo of like, hey, I'm pretty sure the company does like HR, but it took me like eight times of seeing their messaging, seeing their stuff for me to even just like for it to click. And I think it can be the same thing with an influencer, right? Just to be either be noticed by them or to get noticed as a creator, if that makes sense. It's all about that repetition. So a lot of good learnings from there for people to get started. And then as Jay said, just don't be afraid to to slide into the DMs eventually. Um, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll throw it on you, Camille, because you have a decent amount of followers on LinkedIn. Like I'm sure you probably notice if someone comments on your post like every single day for like 15 or 20 days, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so that's where I'm coming from too, is like me with pretty small following, but a lot of friends like on LinkedIn and like a, a little bit of a community. So I, I definitely recognize the people that are there every day or the people that are supporting me. And it's like a, a range of people too. And I love that. Like, I, I love that it's other creators, it's people like in sales, like it's people in business development, like I love that it's a bunch of different types of people because that allows me to learn from them as well. Like I can see, oh, this is resonating with sales or this is re resonating with marketing or this is resonating specifically with writers. Like it's really great feedback for the creator too of like, who who is this speaking to, right? And it's just appreciated, I think at all levels, like it doesn't matter how big your circle is, you still just appreciate people that are saying nice things or supporting your content in any way. I think even if it is negative, like it's, <laughs> It's feedback. It's all feedback and it all helps you level up, I think. So even yeah, the negative I I stuff helps the algorithm and pushes your content. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like even the bad stuff is good stuff in that way. Cause even if that person disagrees, someone in their network might see it and agree. And so what, what about you? I mean, you have, I think a decent following on Twitter and LinkedIn. So maybe you can speak more to the Twitter side of things. Yeah, for sure. I definitely notice when people comment and reach out and things like that, obviously it can be tough. Like we all have a lot of responsibilities and stuff like that. And creating content is definitely not an easy job. It looks easy from the outside, but it's definitely not easy to come up with those insights and really put them into a digestible format. But I, I definitely notice when people reach out and stuff like that. And I love talking with people because it's kind of cool like to hear like, oh, yeah, you're interested in reading what I'm talking about. Like, that's really cool to like hear. And, you know, that's what it's about as a creator. Like, at least for me, what I love doing is like the fact that, you know, I can even help one person make their their job easier, their life easier, whatever they're working on easier. Like that's what I'm creating content for more so than anything more so than just the followers or, or things like that. So I, I love to hear from other people and hear like what really resonated and what can I even do as a creator? Like, what do you want to hear me talk about those kinds of things? They're all big. Yeah, I think that's a great mindset to have about it. And one of the things 
with creating or or thinking about creating in general is going back to what people actually want to hear and then finding people that can deliver it in a digestible way, like you said, like going back to the question before of what makes a good creator or what should you look for? I think it has to do with the relevance of your product, but then also can this person communicate well? Because And that's like a big piece of it because people communicate in different ways and different creators create in different ways. And you've touched on this a little bit in the past, which I think is great because some people are really good with the written word and some people are really good on video and some people are really good with design. And sometimes it's a mesh of all of those things. So it's also about, I think, finding someone who is both in your demographic and has maybe like influence on the market that you're looking to get into. But then it's the person that can communicate those things well and in the format that that market likes, if that makes sense. And because sometimes we just think about the name, right? We'll think, okay, this person is a huge name in this market. If we get them, like we're going to get all these deals, like not so much if they're not going to plug your product or if they don't know how to plug your product, if they can't communicate its value, like if they're just not into it, if it doesn't fit into their flow. So there's a lot of things to consider, but really what it comes down to, like you said, is are they able to communicate well and distill, as you said, an insight like into its like simplest format? Like that's really what it is when we're talking about creating is can they simplify a message that aligns with your messaging out to people in a way that they're, they're going to consume and not shut down because it feels like an ad. Yeah, totally. And it's not about the follower. Like, I mean, yeah, that's an important piece. Like, obviously, you want to reach a bigger audience. But it, it's really about the content more so than anything. Like, when you're doing influencer marketing and creator marketing, if you really want to get it right, you have to focus in on the people that can communicate super effectively, whatever format that is video, written, audio, whatever that format is, like, those are the creators that you should be wanting to work with. A, first of all, because their audience is probably going to be more engaged. Like you could probably just eyeball it and take a look. And I, I promise you those people will have way more engaged fans because they're just delivering a lot of value really concisely and, and really well versus someone that's just like copying and pasting articles or just restating what everyone knows. And so those are the creators you want to look for. And that's a big part of it. And, and not only that, but talking about that specifically, you know, at, at Trend, we try doing a little bit of B2B influencer marketing as well at times. And there are a couple of creators, I, I won't share any names, but you know, they had a lot of followers, they had a ton of organic traffic on their side and things like that. And it just didn't work out because those people aren't engaged. They're just not engaged followers. And so that's not what it's about. It's really finding the creators that can create content really well. And then another thing that I'll add on there is if you want to do this play long term, like influencer marketing long term, and you definitely should because I think it's super valuable for any business in any stage, but get really good at identifying high risers. This is the best thing that you can do for your business is not only people that have a decent sized audience and, and good engagement right now, but people that you can feel are going to continue to grow. Like they're just so good at creating content, like they're going to eventually grow. And so that's a, a big part of it as well, because if you can identify those people, like maybe they're like over here at this, like at level one right now, but they might be at level five, like a year from now. And those are the people that you want to work with because as you scale and, and you grow, they're going to also scale and grow 
which means you can potentially deliver more impact and you'll already have a relationship built with those people. Yeah, I think that's such a smart play. And you had a post around this the the other day that I loved. It was basically like betting on someone's potential. Like it was like the idea of either pay someone or partner with someone based on what you think that they can be. And you see this with hiring too, right? Is bringing somebody on that doesn't have the job that, that you're looking to fill but that you think can rise to the occasion too. And that can work out both ways. Cause one, maybe they can fit your budget better in that way because they're not there yet, but you think that they can get there and they're like a self-starter. And also the the creator or the employee in some cases will remember it, the people that bet on them, right? Like they'll, they'll remember the companies that took a bit of a gamble on them. And I think you work extra hard to pay that back, whether it's like an actual payment and bring in revenue for them or just referrals too, right? Is introducing them to other people. Like you want them to succeed because they wanted you to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. And those high risers will go above and beyond usually to to help you with stuff and, and really make sure because they want to succeed too. They're hungry to win versus, you know, working with someone that, yeah, it's cool. They have a hundred thousand followers and, and all this stuff, but they're not really engaged. They're like looking to grow like quotes around that because they're like, oh yeah, I gained a hundred followers today because like, I'm just like sitting on autopilot and letting this thing run at this point. And so that's why you want to partner with those high risers because those high risers aren't doing that. They're looking to actively grow every single day. And so it can be a huge opportunity, especially if your brand is maybe has a little bit more pull, a bigger of an audience, maybe a bigger of a stage as well. And you can help to promote that creator. So it's a win for them. They will absolutely go above and beyond. And not only that, but I'll give you another good tip as well is typically a lot of creators know other creators. It just kind of happens that way that you kind of run in the same circle and you want to talk to those other people as well. So, you know, landing that first creator can be a great way to kind of get introduced to other creators that might fit your audience as well. Yeah, just the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon at work there. Just, <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah, it turns out too, I think that like attracts people that are hungry, like are around other people that are hungry, people that are creating are around other people that are creating, like it just makes sense that there would be sort of like a gravitational pull there. But that's a, that's a great point too. So we've talked quite a bit about just strategies and how to find these people, then how to approach them. And so once you get somebody that's interested in wanting to work with you, what are kind of some example projects that you can start with? Yeah, I think the the biggest one that kind of sticks out to me, it kind of depends on what your offer is. So are you a product? Or are you a service? And I see it more so with products, influencer marketing working really well. I not saying that it can't work with the service. It definitely can work with the services. We're on this podcast over here that's sponsored by motion. And so those kinds of things work as well. And you know, you've got to be willing to give to get what I mean by that is, if you're going to work with this creator, you're not going to charge them full price to, to do whatever the thing is the main thing that you want to do with whatever you're offering is, first of all, the, the people that you should be finding those creators that you should be working with are people that can actually use your product or service. That's a big part of it, too. And so once you identify those people, and you have those people, uh, a, a great way to first build that step is let them use your product or service for free or at a super discounted rate versus what other people would be getting free is definitely better than discounted if you're able to do that for a lot of products like that might be super easy services it's going to be a little bit harder as well because obviously you know someone's got to 
do something with that and spend time and, and money on that. But yeah, if you can give that stuff away for free or at a super discounted rate, I, I think that's a big win. Let them use it, figure out how it works for them. I think that's a really big one. Walk them through like some of the benefits and like outcomes and things like that, or just really empower these people to kind of like understand like what is the value that your business delivers and help them understand that. And then, you know, if you can get them to post, that's when you kind of put a little bit of hands off, like you've got to give 90% of the control to the creator in terms of what they produce and and share and how they position it for their audience, because they're going to know what's the best way to, to talk about whatever you're doing to meet what their audience does and how they think about things. That would be my advice over there in terms of getting the adoption going. Like you got to give it away for free or at a super discounted rate and, and just let them figure out if it's right for them. And one add on that at the end as well is it's okay if it doesn't work out. Don't make the influencer marketing or creator marketing such like a, oh yeah, we picked you and like we need you to to post this now. And obviously like maybe they're disinterested in the product or service. That's not something they're interested in. Don't force them to continue going down that route because it's just going to end up being a poor experience for everyone involved over there. Yeah, I think those are great points. The thing that stood out too is even before that, if you don't have product market fit, like that's going to be a big determining factor is if whether or not this is going to work out. It can be a way, I guess, to validate that and to figure it out. But ideally, like you have product market fit that these people can benefit from your product. And then by, like you said, giving it away for free, they'll tell you what, whether or not it's helpful for them. But obviously you have to walk them through maybe how it works and make that onboarding experience really easy. But once they have that aha moment, oh, I see how this like fits into my life, into my workflow then like that's like the sweet spot because they can potentially, if they love it, they can potentially start creating content around that. Like I've already started doing with Swipely, like that's a great example. So Swipely is Jay's product and it's uh, Pinterest for B2B essentially, right? And so it's a way for me to organize my content and to see it visually. And it's just a much better bookmarking system, but by using it and getting into it, then I can, see how it works in my workflow. And I might have ideas on how to use the product that Jay might not have too. And so it can be this like R&D play too, figuring out the next steps for the product or like use cases that you can now share with prospects on how to use the product. So the trickiest part I think is just getting someone into the product. And like Jay said, if you give it away for free, you take away all barriers of entry for just using the product and maybe you show some ways that other creators are using it, then it starts to become that flywheel because you're like, oh, this is how Jay used it. And this is how Nick used it. And okay, okay so that gives me ideas on how I'm going to use it. And I'm going to share that with people. And now other people like know some ways to use it. And then you have like almost a library of use cases built up for people. And so that's like where I see there being a real sweet spot with it too. And it all kind of fueling the content flywheel. And, and, and this is how it all just relates to content for me. And so I don't know if you had anything to add to that. That was a bit of a ramble, but that's where I've been landing with it lately. Yeah. And I'd say on that product market fit thing too, I think it's really important to have that. But if you don't have the product market fit yet, use this as an opportunity to get to that product market fit. Because generally those people, like if I'm talking to someone that's writing about content marketing, 
they are probably going to be pretty in tune to what content marketers need, like those kinds of things, because that's who their audience probably is as well, right? There are probably other content marketers, other people that are interested in that space, maybe interested in content marketing and those kinds of things. So they're going to have a really good understanding of what that audience is looking for as well, because they're living and breathing in it every single day. And so use that as an opportunity to kind of also dig in and say, like, what do you think could be better about this product? What are some of the limitations? Like, some of those things. And you can use that as an opportunity to continue to keep building that relationship and use that opportunity to kind of find product market fit. Because the great thing about working with the creator to also find product market fit is that you're not just finding product market fit for that one person, you're probably finding product market fit too for their audience as well. Because if they're going to be willing to share it or something like that, obviously, they've got to believe that this is going to be something that can work for their audience. And so I think that's an important piece as well when you're thinking about how to do creator marketing and influencer marketing, right? And B2B. And this is especially true for early stage. Obviously, more mature companies probably have that product market fit or or those kinds of things. But I, I think especially for early stage companies, if you don't have that product market fit, don't just say no to influencer creator marketing. It can be a great opportunity to help you find what you need over there. Yeah, that's a good point is that this helps you with the customer research part of things just as much as it helps you with content. Like it's like a two pronged play that way. And so to give people other ideas on content. So you had mentioned, and I think this is the most important thing, just letting the creator do their thing. They've proven that they know how to create content and that's why you're working with them. So let them do their thing. Give them the product for free if you can. Let them get into it. Ask them follow-up questions on how they're using it too. Again, that helps with research, but maybe that helps with content if they're, if they're willing to do record it and to do like a user generated content type play with it. And then yeah, and you could ask for reviews. But then as far as the the content side of things, I've seen some things that I've seen work well are contests, right? So having some sort of contest either with a few different influencers or a few different creators that you might have all kind of collaborating together can be fun. But then also them launching a contest to their audience, right? And involving the product in some way, them sharing how they're using the product. Those are a few things that I can think of off the top of my head. Did you have like some others to add to that that you think are good plays? Yeah, I think one that's really good, especially in like early stage. I mean, that's where my background is. So I love doing those early stage, like growth acquisition plays is limited access or like exclusive access. So what I mean by that is you're giving the creator essentially the ability to determine who gets into your product or service first. So, you know, hey, I'm the person, I'm the gatekeeper behind 20 more people that can be in this product or have access to this service. So I think that's a great approach as well for figuring out what that content is. And to your point, yeah, you've got to give over as much creative control as you possibly can to the creator. I think in terms of the guidelines when you're getting strict about that or, or things that you want to think about there is the only things that you really want to be super focused on is make sure you're sharing with them what those key features are of the product, what works well, what some of those outcomes are, and things like that. So what you want to do there with those things is like you want them to obviously talk about one of those like key outcomes or maybe like a key feature and things like that. But you leave it up to the creator to determine, you know, what's the one that's going to really resonate the most with my audience. But that's about as far as I'd go on guidelines over there. Yeah, that's good. That gives a, a good sort of ballpark to, to play in, uh, but it's still like a wide open field, right? 
So the last step in the framework then would be how you measure success. So this one's hard to talk about in a broad sense because it really depends on the product. So let's pretend that it's a SaaS product and it is under $100 a month, like it's a more like lower entry product. So how would you go about measuring success for that type of a product in an influencer marketing play? Conversions, that's what it is, conversions, and probably even awareness. And the way I maybe measure awareness is through like site traffic. So like, dive into your Google Analytics, or whatever you're using there, like, you don't have to like have something like crazy. Yeah, you can put together UTM links and all of that stuff. But I mean, really, like, there's some stuff that you can just see happening. We work with creators before, like when a creator like posts for Swipely, like I can literally see the signups go up. I don't need a UTM link to to dig into Google Analytics to tell me that that's the case, or I don't need any of that stuff. And that'll probably be the, the same way. Like if maybe you have a freemium model, like maybe it's trials, right? So like trials and you'll end up converting those people. If you see your trial count rise a ton after working after a creator post, like obviously that was a success. Don't overcomplicate it. I don't think the early stage businesses will do it as much because they won't have the bandwidth to overcomplicate it. But especially if you're like a more mature company, make sure you're not overcomplicating. It's just really inputs. Like here's the input. What's the output? Did the output happen? How much was the output? And that's why you want to work with a few different creators as well. Because you want to figure out, you want to understand just like how any marketer would get a good baseline of what does success look like? Like how much can I actually drive over here? Like, you know, am I able to convert like maybe a hundred trials started for every like 10,000 followers? Like what is that baseline that you can kind of measure off? And so you're going to have to work with multiple creators to figure out what that is. And then that can actually give you a really good metric too for creators that you might want to work with more in the future or even look to kind of find and identify those creators that can drive similar results as well. Yeah, yeah, there was like a lot of gold in there. And I think the the main thing for me was that it's a great early acquisition play and it works especially well if you have a freemium model and are going about it in a, a product-led motion. And so, yeah, it's easy to measure that way too because it's just conversions. And as you said, especially if you're just starting out, it kind of makes sense to only have one one influencer at a time or one creator at a time that you're adding and just slowly scale up so that you can measure it and see, okay, what are we getting from this? And you can see those signups go up. So there's a lot of things for me to think about in there and just how to go about just getting the most out of a creator, but also making sure that it's mutually beneficial at the same time. But you really don't have to overcomplicate it. Like (laughs) signups are going up, conversions are going up. Everyone's making more money. Everyone is happy. So I think that's (laughs) folks too, who are, who are like really trying to measure everything. To wrap this up, because we're just right about at time now, what advice would you give to marketers who are wanting to launch some sort of a creator play, are still kind of nervous about getting started? Maybe what are some do's and don'ts? Yeah, the don'ts would be don't really do like spammy cold outreach and stuff like that. You've got a formal relationship. And the do is just really get involved, like start engaging with creators, find out who those people are like worst case you decide to not pursue anything but the the nice thing about it is a you probably created a relationship there b you probably have someone that you can also test your product with as well and maybe get some more feedback or whatever it is there's no reason not to do it like 
Social media is free. It costs zero dollars to to be on unless you're on LinkedIn Premium. But that's a whole nother story. But it, it costs zero dollars to to be engaged. And so there's no reason not to do it. I I suggest just getting involved. The earlier you can get involved, the more benefits you're gonna drive to your business because obviously like you'll have new people coming in, new creators all the time, but you want to target as many high risers as you can. And, and the best way to do that is get involved as early as possible. Perfect. Yeah, I have a lot to think about from a content strategy perspective and how influencer marketing plays into that. So I hope everyone listening got a similar download of information that I did. To wrap things up, just where can people find you? Uh, where can people learn more about you and Swipely? Yeah, you can definitely feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can just search for Jay Desai. If you're connected with Camille, you should be able to find me on Twitter. I'm J-A-T, so like the word at, and then Swipely, S-W-P-E-L-Y. And if you want to check out Swipely, it's just swipely.com, S-W-P-E-L-Y.com. Would love to have you on the platform. It's a free platform to save content and organize it. And yeah, feel free to reach out. Perfect. Well, Jay, thank you so much for coming on. It's always good talking to you. And we will be connecting soon on LinkedIn or Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening to Content Logistics. This episode is produced by Motion, a done-for-you B2B podcasting agency for busy marketers. If you liked what you heard, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 